Thanks very much for uh, joining us today. And what we'd like to do is run through the most recent corporate presentation um, dated January 2019. I think, Darren, if you're going to run through this uh, for us, um, we'd, we'd, we'd appreciate that. So if you've got the presentation in front of you, I guess we can kick off on page two and maybe you can give us a little bit of a you know, summary before we kind of get into the detail. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you very much for the opportunity. You know, there's a few blanket statements on on slide number two, and uh, and maybe I'll preface that with uh, with a comment. Uh, we uh, we own the Madison Gold Project in Northwest Ontario. It's a uh, historic brownfield uh, uh, production. Uh, two and a half million uh, ounces has been produced out of the Madison deposit. Uh, we acquired it about four years ago, and have moved very aggressively forward uh, through exploration and and now into development. Uh, and are on the cusp of releasing a feasibility study, which is uh, which we will see come on Q1. Uh, that feasibility study will be the last step in de-risking a production scenario at, at Madison. Uh, Madison has the benefit of existing infrastructure. There's a mill on site, tailings facility on site. We have underground access, and and there's also existing permits, uh, which uh, which will require amendment, but uh, but are in hand. And so all of that uh, puts us in a position where we can move very rapidly from. Uh, what was an exploration-focused company into development and, and into production. Uh, with those studies um, coming out imminently, uh, you know, a lot of what I talk about here will be, uh, you know, more broadly uh, generalizations of the project and our direction moving forward. Uh, bear in mind that uh, all, of, all of this will be uh, effectively overwritten in, in the near future here with the uh, release of the feasibility study. Of course. So, you know, the, the first statement I put there is, uh, you know, my my strong belief is there is a real uh, scarcity of quality growth projects out there right now. Uh, Madison is one of the select few with uh, with a resource grade of about nine grams per ton. Uh, really puts it in the top few percentile worldwide for uh, for gold deposits by grade. Our goal here is to build a long life mine with attractive economics. Uh, we again do uh, benefit from from existing infrastructure, which results in what I think will be one of the lowest capital hurdles out there for construction of a new new uh, gold. Operation, and then the last point on the slide, which I think is really important, is that uh, we have we've seen significant growth in the resource. Uh, we do intend also to update our resource here in the uh, in, in the coming weeks, and, uh, and and we think that we have a you know we'll be laying out a picture that really shows that Madison is a scalable project. The feasibility study will underpin the uh, the economics of, of a production story moving forward, but on top of that, we think that uh, with the, uh, the resource growth that we've seen, the ability to continue to grow resources through exploration, and some of the satellite discoveries that we've made over the last several years will allow us to paint a picture of an operation that's not only long-lived, long but uh, but has the opportunity to continue to grow beyond that life and or um, show some expansion during mine life to, uh, to improve the production profile. Okay, thanks for that summary. I guess we should kind of get into the meat of the project here and uh, try and understand a little bit more about the specific projects itself and you know the management team and your, your plans. Yeah, so um, Madison Gold Project is in Northwest Ontario. Uh, current resource sits at uh, 1.74 million ounces at 8.7 grams per ton in the indicated category, uh, 300,000 ounces approximately at 7.9 grams per ton in the inferred category. 
situated in Red Lake, Ontario. This is a uh, historic mining camp that's seen uh, gold production over the last uh, nine decades. It's been nearly 30 million ounces of gold that's come out of the Red Lake area. Uh, we, uh, as I indicated, have uh, completed a preliminary economic assessment, which uh, suggests robust economics for a for the Madsen project. And uh, about a year ago, we initiated a feasibility study, which is set to come out in, in the coming weeks. And, uh, on slide number five, uh, about 256 million shares outstanding. Uh, we are fully funded to uh, complete our feasibility program and uh, and move the project towards a production decision just to interrupt um you, it, yes. so it says here it's a it's not it's a definitive feasibility study that's coming out that is correct right okay sorry um wasn't sure okay and that's coming out what q1 so imminently it is imminently yes have you seen the data are you optimizing at the moment what what when do you expect to actually make the announcement yeah, so we're, we're targeting making an announcement, uh, you know, as soon as we effectively can. Uh, it'll, it'll likely come out in the, in the next, um, you know, next month or so. Right. Uh, we are getting near the, near the tail end. Uh, all of the heavy lifting, so to speak, has been completed. And we really are in the uh, kind of final stages of uh, putting the economics together and, uh, and reviewing. Again, back on page three, um, I know you have touched upon it, but just to under help me understand, You've, you've you've got a lot of infrastructure in place already. I mean, you've got a mill, you've got a tailings facility in place. I mean, was this this part of the acquisition cost? One presumes. Yeah, that's correct. The Madison is a uh, it is a permitted mine. Uh, it uh, was acquired, as I said, four years ago, and, and came with an existing mill. Uh, it's a six hundred ton per day mill that was uh, it's not the original mill that was used to produce two and a half million ounces gold at Madison, but was brought in the late 1990s when our predecessors was looking at a restart. Yeah. Uh, so that is in place. Uh, Tailings management facility was uh, was part of the historic operation, has been expanded and improved since that time. And then we have underground access both through an existing shaft, which goes down to uh, uh, just over 4,000 feet or 1,200 meters, and a, uh, and a ramp, which we've been active in over the last two years in, in continuing to explore and uh, and completion of a, a bulk sample that we I'm guessing there that the the value of that's built into your you know however you're valuing the company at the moment so but how, how did you value all of that existing infrastructure yeah when you look at the infrastructure itself if you were to value it in you know today's dollars you're looking at something that's likely well over 200 million dollars right. in, in existing infrastructure. The benefit to us, obviously, is that the sunk cost. And so when we look at the preliminary economic assessment that we put out in September of 2017, it showed that uh, we could restart the operation with a uh, initial capital cost of 51 million Canadian, which is, uh, you know, it's extremely light. And, and the reason it's light is, is, again, because of that existing infrastructure. So we're not out to build a new mill or a tailing facility or, or put a shaft in place here. Those things are already there and available to us. Got it, got it. Okay. And also the other thing you touched upon there was you said it was fully fully permitted and so the entire project is just at Marsden or all projects are fully permitted and licensed? Yeah, so Madison is is, uh, is permanent uh, as a mine. It's a, uh, uh, you know, the key umbrella permits that we have in place are environmental compliance approval for, uh, for air and noise and for what they call industrial sewage works, which is really your mill and tailing facility. Uh, those permits were issued during the, uh, the last time that Madison was operational. And yeah. so as we put out a, our feasibility study and an updated mine plan, we'll need to go and amend those permits. Right. And so that, that work has commenced. Uh, it is a fairly straightforward regulatory process and there is no environmental assessment that is then 
anticipated as part of that process. So there's no, no delays anticipated. It's it's a it's built into your your planning. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm go, I'm moved on to page four here, and this is kind of one of the more important pages for me. So in terms of you know our investment strategies is yeah. understanding who who we're um, getting to bed with. Um, the board and the management team. Can you kind of run through that in some level of detail so we understand who's actually doing what, where the value's coming from, you know, each of them, um, you know, what what you've tasked them to do? Sure, sure, I'll do that. I'll start first with with myself. I am a geologist by background. Uh, I I have been in in mining my entire career. A good part of that was with uh, Plaster Dome started in exploration uh, geology, moved on to uh, to mine geology. I did work in the Red Lake area, so I was uh, underground beach geologist at the Red Lake mine and ultimately transitioned to be chief geologist for that operation. So intimately familiar with the uh, uh, with the camp. And, uh, and I have had the opportunity through my career to uh, to take projects right from exploration through, uh, through development study and ultimately into operation. So a fairly well-rounded background. Uh, across the group here, you'll see you know, a very strong foundation in geoscience. Uh, I stepped down to Phil Smirchansky, our PP exploration. Uh, he was a consultant to Gold Corp in the Red Lake area. Again, it's, a, it's very knowledgeable with respect to the, uh, the mineralized systems in place at Red Lake. Uh, Chris Lee, our chief geoscientist, uh, worked with Marco Day, who's on our board uh, with Frontier Gold, and is also a very strong structural geologist. In fact, when you look at Marco Day and Chris Lee, they, they both participated in um, in Rob McEwen's Gold Corp Challenge uh, back in the day. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Of course, that. yes. Um, I'm not that young. <laughs> yeah, so so Mark came in second place, and uh, and Chris Lee was the semi-finalist in that competition. Really, that was designed and and, and put forward to uh, to make a new discovery in the Red Lake Mine, and ultimately led to the discovery of the high-grade zone in, in, in that deposit. Uh, so very strong foundation in geoscience. Ken Donner was brought on about two years ago to really lead the charge to you know development and operations. Uh, Ken has 30 years of experience. Uh, the first 15 or so years was in in operating mines exactly like this, underground, high grade, and uh, the last 15 years of his career has been um, more centered around uh, building mines and, and, and bringing them into production, which is exactly where we're at. So he's the right person to, to bring this forward. More broadly speaking, I've talked a little bit about the group. Uh, we fall you know, effectively under uh, the oxygen capital umbrella. Yeah, I noticed a couple of names there, so both Sean and Mark. Uh, part of that group, are they? That's right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Sean, Mark, Dylan McInnes. Uh, it was put together by Mark uh, when Frontier Gold was acquired by uh, by Newmont in 2011, and really meant to uh, to incubate companies, uh, to bring new ideas, and, and look to to drive value using our our, our what I would call you know, our our specialized skill sets. Yeah. And really, at the foundation of the group is looking for projects that have significant data sets where we think there's real value that can be effectively mined out of that data to drive uh, projects forward towards production. Um, great examples of that would be Frontier Gold and Long Canyon, which was acquired uh, you know, by Newmont. Uh, True Gold uh, built up the Burkina Faso uh, Karma project and was acquired by Endeavor uh, a couple of years back. True North Nickel was acquired. Uh, so a real you know, success story of, of acquiring good projects, strong data sets, applying geoscience, yeah. building it up, and, uh, and either in the case of True Gold, building and mining, company and, and being acquired or ultimately being acquired as we transition into the uh, into the uh, construction and operation. So a real strong uh, umbrella uh, support, if you will. 
Darren, so just in terms of this team here, so at the moment you're kind of positioning yourself, so you're still exploratory. Um, obviously, you've got a DFS coming out, which gives you some indication of um, how you move forward. But um, the, the team currently is very technically orientated. Um, who, who in this team is sort of managing the kind of financial component? Obviously, market cap's good, but I guess you're going to have to go out to market at some point. Who's managing the financial component? Well, I mean, ultimately, that rests on me, uh, but uh, very strong support through our board. And, uh, and then Sean Teslaff, who's our, our CFO. Uh, we've been very successful in a difficult market in, in raising funds to move the project forward. And, yeah. and you know, I speak for, for, for Pure Gold in saying that, but also, again, more broadly speaking, the group uh, mm -hmm. has shown the ability repeatedly to attract capital to move projects forward. I think that really reflects on the team, uh, mm -hmm. on the group and its history, and, and then ultimately on the project itself. Strong jurisdiction, high grade, and uh, potential for, for, for good economics moving forward uh, really has enabled us to, to raise those funds moving forward. Okay, and, and I, I guess for now, this is the team, you know, as the company you know, evolves, you're gonna, I guess, have to bring new people, new skill sets in, but that's not for now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just again, to, to reiterate, uh, you know, in terms of my background, I've, I've operated mines in both underground and open pit, I've brought, uh, I brought properties right through from exploration through into uh, into feasibility construction and ultimately uh, operations. Uh, Ken Donner, that's his entire career. When you look at our board, uh, you know Rob Pease was global manager for projects worldwide for for Plaster Dome and has seen the transition of multiple projects across the world from exploration through into into development and construction and ultimately operation. So, yeah, we've got a pretty strong foundation here. We will need to build out the team as we move forward here and, and bring in the ultimately the mine management team that's going to drive the operation on the ground. And and those uh, those efforts have uh, have been initiated. Excellent. Okay. Thanks very much. I'm just I'm just turning through to uh, page five. Uh, again, yeah, I know you touched upon some of this, but um, if you can sort of help me understand the key shareholders a little bit more. Obviously, the management director is sitting at three point five percent. Strategic shareholders they they would be who? Yeah, so we've got a few strategic shareholders in there. Anglo Gold Ashanti is the uh, the largest. Uh, so senior producer, they own fourteen point nine percent of the company. Yep. and have been a strong supporter from, from day one, effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob McEwen, mm -hmm. uh, so founder of Bullcorp, uh, Rob McEwen was uh, really effectively the lead shortholder when we uh, put together a financing package to acquire Madsen, and uh, he currently holds about 7%. And, and, and in there as well, you would see Goldcorp, uh, who, uh, who participated in a couple different financings uh, to help us uh, advance our exploration efforts over the last couple of years. So there's the strategic and the institutional I guess maybe what Canadian focused? Uh, both Canadian and and European. There's a there is a couple London institutions in there, and uh, and we've also got some uh, American institutional ownership. That that number is, is probably low. Uh, this is effectively what reports, uh, but we we know a few others that uh, you know that would bring that number up a little bit higher. Okay, and and does that does that split also apply to your retail? Because looking at that, um, it's quite a high retail following um is that canadian european yeah yeah so you see a combination of uh dominantly canadian and european in terms of the uh the retail ownership uh very strong support uh in in canada particularly here in vancouver with uh, some key shareholders there that uh, that have significant positions in the company got it just just help me out here i might i should look it up but if you can help me out so in terms of volume daily volume and 
liquidity? What's that looking like? Yeah, we're averaging about uh, you know 250 to 300,000 shares a day. And that's retail driven? Uh, largely retail driven, correct. And then a, a couple of the other numbers here, which kind of just help me. So market cap at the moment, roughly 165 million. You've got about 7 million bucks of working capital. That, and that's going to see take you through to when? That'll take us through to uh, effectively a production decision. So all the way through our, our ongoing efforts to complete the feasibility study, uh, update the resource, uh, and um, you know, effectively the, the next thing will be a production decision. And then ultimately we'd look to, to finance the project and move it, uh, move it into production. So that'd be kind of Q2, are we saying? Uh, you're, you're looking at mid-2019. Excellent, and uh, analyst coverage, you've, you've got quite a few names on there, so certainly all the big boys. Um, so you definitely very well followed. So should we get into Madsen Gold Project proper? Sure. Yeah. So on slide six, we've got a location map. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, Red Lake, Ontario, uh, very strong uh, mining jurisdiction. Red Lake has been effectively built upon underground mining. Um, again, nearly 30 million ounces of gold has come out of there. Madsen historically has produced uh, just under two and a half million ounces at a grade of close to 10 grams per ton. And you can see again the the resource numbers there. Uh, we we hold a large land position on the south end of the camp, centered on Madison, about 47 square kilometers. It's all patent land, uh, which means that we own both surface rights and mineral rights, and uh, and that really gives us a lot of flexibility from uh, from uh, a permitting standpoint, in fact, of moving things forward, both on the exploration and development side. Yep. I mean, what what I can see clearly here is you're one in the right postcode. Uh, to the infrastructure around you, not any roads, but uh, the airport there, and I'm guessing power, water, skilled workers, all in abundance. Yeah, absolutely. You can see Highway 618 uh, goes bisects right through our property. Uh, we've got paved highway access straight to the gate. Uh, we've got uh, power, you know, to the gate. It is a historic production uh, site, and so all of those facilities are in place. And then importantly, uh, you know, being a mining district, uh, access to skilled labor, uh, you know, the kind of things that we'll be looking for from an underground mining perspective are all locally available. You know, I'll talk in a moment about our underground bulk sample. Uh, we engaged Dumas mine contractors to assist with that. Nearly everybody on that team was Red Lake sourced. And so that, that labor is available on, on in the area. Clicking over to page seven. Here. Yeah, so uh, seven really just lays out a path moving forward. Uh, the feasibility study will define uh, a production scenario for Madison. Again, as I said, uh, you know, the, the last step in really de-risking that, that operating uh, scenario. Scalability is, is really important. Uh, we've made several discoveries over the last several years, Russell South, Fork, Wedge. Uh, each of those uh, have or will have uh, resources attached to them in, in the near future. and. Uh, and Russell South Fork and Wedge will not be incorporated in the feasibility study, uh, their, their earlier stage, but we see the real opportunity there to, to demonstrate uh, a path to continue to grow those resources and, uh, and then also wrap some, some operating um, parameters around them and ultimately incorporate them into the mine plan. So allowing us to not only potentially extend mine life, but, uh, but even look at uh, you know, increasing mill throughput and have an impact on the production profile. Uh, beyond that, we will continue to explore. Uh, it is a large land package, and, and given the success that we've had, we, we believe that there's a real value driven there. Got it. So, so again, just so coming back to the scalability component, what are you indicating at the moment the you know, production numbers will be? You know, How many ounces per year? So we, we put out a preliminary economic assessment uh, in 2017 that uh, utilized the existing mill 
and uh, and the resource for Madison. It showed an average, uh, you know, over 14 year mine life, we showed an average of about 70,000 ounces per year, uh, peaked out at uh, pretty close to 100,000 ounces per year. Uh, the limiting factor there really was the is the existing mill. Uh, so our our goal in that study was to minimize initial capital. Uh, we used the existing mill. That was the outcome. Uh, I can't really talk too much about where we're at right now. It's a feasibility study, given that it is, it is you know nearing completion, and we'll see what that looks like in in the very near future. Yeah, I think the sorts of numbers that people would be liking to see would be typically. 100,000 ounces a year with whatever life of mine attached to that and whatever large number of resource attached to that as well. So you're obviously sitting around 2 million at the moment, 70,000 annual production. And I guess you're in terms of you're talking about scalability, you'd be looking to increase that. Yeah. So really, you know, our goal here is to demonstrate exactly that. We'd like to show a a long life mine here that has the, the potential to produce, you know, between 100 and 150,000 ounces over that period. Uh, we'll have the feasibility study out. I've talked about an updated resource coming out. The one thing I haven't talked about is uh, we also intend to put out a preliminary economic assessment on, on the heels of the feasibility study. That seems a little bit unusual, but that, that PEA is going to be uh, centered around our, our satellite zones, if you will, Rust and South, Fork, and Wedge. It'll be the first hand look at uh, how we might mine those. Uh, what the capital and operating costs are, around those might look like and, and what kind of production profile we could attain from those satellite zones. Presumably also the timing and costs associated with that. There's going to be a certain amount of money available. The CapEx will be yeah. expended a certain way. So the satellite projects, not necessarily happening anytime soon, but you want to understand what the economic benefits could be going forward. Yeah, right? yeah. It is, again, you know, we, we do have a real opportunity here given the, the infrastructure we have in place uh, and, and where these deposits are situated because uh, we are limited by how we present it uh, given that the PEA incorporates inferred resources. It will be shown as an end of mine life extension. And so when, when we put that PEA out, we'll, we'll be showing rust south fork wedge mining occurring subsequent to mining at Madsen. What we'll be doing is continue to, to do work from an exploration standpoint to convert inferred to indicated. Uh, we'll continue to do some upfront engineering work with the goal of bringing that up earlier into the mine life. And, and that would be done in conjunction with an expansion of the existing plant potentially. And so that, that would be the driver here. This is not, um, it's, those satellite zones are, are not distal. They're fairly close to the existing mill. Uh, they're, they're easy to access. The, uh, the infrastructure to put them into production won't be significant. And from a permitting standpoint, we'd be using the existing mill, the existing tanning facility. So really we'd be looking at permitting a, uh, you know, dewatering and, and ultimately the, uh, the underground access for those, those zones. Don, remind me, what's the uh, mill uh, capacity? Uh, 600 tons per day. Okay. Uh, importantly, our, our existing permit for the mill allows for 1,200 short tons or about uh, 10,000 or sorry, 1,089 tons per day metric. And so there is room for expansion potentially within that existing permit. Brilliant, thank you for that. Okay, then I'm, uh, I'm looking at the, actually it looks like a Google Earth map of the infrastructure. Yeah, looking down over top there of the infrastructure, uh, just to highlight the road coming through, uh, we can see a power line into the mill, uh, mill situated next to the shaft, tailings management facility on the top end of this image. And on the bottom, you have the portal and ramp. So very compact site. Uh, all of those key components are in place. Uh, you're also seeing the town of Madison there, which was put in place to support the mine. 
and, uh, and, and an area that we continue to draw employees from. So, I mean, the, the interesting thing about the, obviously, Europe, the IRR must have been significantly enhanced by the uh, infrastructure in place, not to mention less capital required and clearly you know, quicker returns as a result. So that's, it's not to be understated, the importance of what you've, what you've picked up there. No, absolutely. Uh, the, the, there's a couple of things I would highlight there. You're, you're exactly right in terms of the, the importance of the infrastructure allowing us to, uh, to, to demonstrate a high internal rate of return. Uh, what it also does for us, the combination of the infrastructure and the permitting uh, that we have in place allows us to start talking about moving from feasibility into production in, in a very rapid time frame. And so, you know, when I look at a high level picture of our, our, our plan moving forward, feasibility study comes out in Q1, we make a production decision, we, uh, we look to bring project financing to, to finance the mine moving forward, uh, and permits come into place, and, and we see ourselves as being in a position where, if not, uh, you know, in December of this year, uh, certainly Q1 of next year, we would, we would like to see those mills turning and, uh, and production commence at Madison. So it's, uh, you know, when you look at the world and, and it's becoming longer and longer from discovery through uh, delineation, uh, permitting, feasibility, and ultimately construction, that window is growing to, to be a multi-multi-year time frame. Uh, you know, given we've got those key components in place, we're talking about something that happens in, in an 18-month window. Yep, okay, understood. I'm now, I'm going to skip through to page 10, um, where you, yeah. you just talk a little bit more about the DFS coming up, but I, you know, I, I guess you've covered some of this already in terms of it's, it'll be out in the next four to six weeks, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So there's, I mean, most, of, again, most of the heavy work has been done, all the uh, geotechnical work. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about test mining on the next, uh, next slides. Yeah. Uh, Trade-off studies have been done. The uh, metallurgical flow flow sheet has been finalized, and and all the uh, the operating and, and capital parameters around that is done. So we really are on the on the tail end of the study and, and anticipated out shortly. And so, when, just for investors watching, I mean, what does that mean for them? What does it mean for the company in terms of value created or certainty um, for you in terms of your decision making? Well, I mean, it really is a key milestone for uh, in the evolution of the project. Uh, getting the feasibility study out will really tighten the parameters around how we're going to mine the deposit, uh, what the capital will be, what the operating costs will be, and allow us to, to make a decision on, on moving to production with some certainty. Uh, we have completed a PEA, and that gave us a you know, good sense of, uh, of the robustness of potential economics here, but, but this takes it to the next level. So it, it is a key milestone in, in really a transition from from what was an exploration company into what will be a, a producing producing company. And again, another one, it's just again, for helping people understand in terms of the, your time um, zones here, moving from a DFS eventually onto a BFS where the economic component has a, a better degree of certainty for them, for the, for the company um, and for, for investors, is what's the time frame between DFS in your case through to BFS and what happens in the inter interim period? Yeah, those, those, in this particular case, you know, the, the terms are, you know, somewhat interchangeable. Uh, definitive feasibility study is, is the final study that we will do. Uh, we have engaged, uh, you know, Endeavor Financial in the middle of last year to help us work on, on the financing side. And uh, we've got a number of parties that, uh, that we've reached out to that are, they're waiting for the conclusion of the study. And ultimately, you know, the, the, 
the engineering parameters and, and economic parameters that we see out of this feasibility study were brought into a uh, you know a financing model and and allow those uh, prospective uh, financiers to, uh, to to put forward proposals to help us move the, the project forward. Okay, thank you for clearing that up. And then I think we're on to the page you mentioned earlier in terms of the the bulk sample from last year and what that's yeah, told you. So Side number 11, we've got a, this is a plan map. It's an image that uh, shows uh, each of those uh, polygons, if you will, is a, is, uh, is a round that's been blasted underground. And so you can see how we advance through there. The west doping area and east doping areas are two areas that we identified from our preliminary economic assessment that, uh, that had potential for, uh, for mining. Uh, the anticipated grade from those two areas was 9.5 grams per ton. Uh, these were not selected because they were the best stoping areas from the study. They were selected because they were the closest to the ramp uh, that existed. So we drove the ramp 87 meters. Uh, we drifted along the bottom of the west stoping area and east stoping area. The colors reflect grade with the uh, the red color being about four grams per ton. And uh, and ultimately we did very well. Uh, as you can see on, on the next slide, uh, the test mining in the west and east stoping areas delivered 14% more ounces than we predicted from the resource. And that really was driven by grade. Uh, we achieved a grade of 10.9 grams per ton at a, at a four gram cutoff versus the nine and a half that we expected. Uh, the tons were within 1%. So, you know, I, I was extremely pleased with the, the outcome of that study, seeing that uh, the tons mashed up uh, almost uh, perfectly and uh, we saw a little bit better grade than we expected from the resource. The hanger wall area that we saw in the last scope was, was a surprise. Uh, we had modeled that in the geological model, uh, had showed a grade that ran about two and a half grams per ton. And as we advanced towards the, uh, the east doping area, so we were testing the walls with the bazooka core rig and, uh, and we tested that area and we started to see better continuity with closer space drilling. We started to see some improved grades with closer space drilling and ultimately we went in there and, and, and mined the area. And uh, that area produced uh, 440 ounces gold from 1,575 tons at a grade of 8.7. So now when you look at the broad picture there, uh, from what we expected when we went in to what we actually achieved through mining, uh, we returned 46% more tons, 8% higher grade, and 56% more ounces. So really a fantastic outcome from our, our test mining program, demonstrating that uh, you know the resource model holds well in the areas where we anticipated to mine it. Uh, there will be opportunities potentially for additional mineralization with closer space drilling. Ground conditions were fantastic, and our average mining with the 5.3 meters uh, was uh, is, a, is a good width underground, which allows you to contemplate uh, uh, different mining methodologies. Got it. Got it. So, so you're, I mean, grade doesn't seem to be the issue here. What you're looking to do is prove up that scalability. Yeah. So, I mean, we really wanted to demonstrate a few things when we set out to to. Uh, to conduct our test mining program. One was to have a first-hand look at ground conditions, uh, which again are excellent. Uh, we wanted to demonstrate that we could follow mineralization underground and establish a, a good grade control uh, program, which, uh, which we did achieve. And, and then we wanted to have a, you know, really a reconciliation between the two models, the resource model, which predicted what we mined and what we actually saw from mining. Uh, this did also allow us the opportunity to test some other areas and we saw some benefit out of that. And while we can't say that it'll apply to the entire mine, uh, we certainly think there will continue to be opportunities as we mine uh, to, to look for those types of, uh, those types of zones. Okay. So, I mean, you think investors should really take note of the pro this process that you've been through because it's potentially quite indicative yeah, think, of what's what's I think this was, come. again, a very key de-risking exercise. Uh, you know, the fact that we achieved uh, a grade of 10 grams per ton uh, underground in, in the first mining in the area 
that it reconciles fairly well for what we predicted from the resource model and that the uh, you know ground conditions and mining widths are are are, are great. Uh, it, it should all you know bring uh, a little bit more confidence to the, the plan that we move forward with. Okay, great. Um, so I'm just flicking over to page 13 where you talk about some of the catalysts. I think a lot of these things you've you've already covered off with regards to the resource update and the, the DFS and obviously a production decision off the back of that. Um, I think you've also covered off the fact that you continue to explore. Again, maybe spend a little bit of time in terms of who in the team is going to be focused on delivering this scalability component because I think that that seems to be the thing which will you know define you as a company if you can continue getting these these grades you know and achieve the you know larger resource numbers then you know potentially a very very exciting business yeah so that i mean that truly will be a team effort uh with uh with the entire group focused on on showing the scalability and growth uh, as we agree we think that's uh, one of the the important uh drivers for value for the company moving forward. On the exploration side, uh, you know, Phil and, and Chris and the team are, are going to continue to be focused on growing resources uh, and and converting inferred to indicated. And so the PEA that we have coming out in Q1 2019 around the satellite zones will give us a, a better guide as to where those efforts should be focused and how we can continue to uh, to bring those into a category which could translate into a feasibility study ultimately and and uh, and and a path towards uh, expansion. Uh, more broadly speaking, uh, you know, we continue to to bring other exploration targets forward. A lot of that work's happening in the background, but there's uh, you know there's about 20 different drill-ready targets across the property that we we will continue to work on. Uh, with the mining team in place, uh, we will uh, will continue to transition that information across so that we can uh, work on. Uh, ensuring we have the timelines put in place to to, to bring that material up as, as as soon as possible to our mine life. Right. Well, whilst managing your uh, cash flow and obviously um, exactly. bringing in money as and when you, it's required. Okay. A couple of quite exciting uh, charts here um, on page fifteen and sixteen. Page fifteen seems like it gives an indication of you know where where everything is. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to kind of run us run us through that at a high level? Yeah, so you see our property outline there. Uh, there's, uh, again, broadly speaking, the property's uh, you know got two halves to it. The uh, the right hand half is in yellow, the left half is in green. Uh, it is the left side of this map that is the focus for us. That is the host of the deposits and uh, and host of the deposits across the camp. Uh, each of those uh, yellow dots on there reflects uh, one of these targets that I, I previously introduced. Uh, and as I said, we continue to move those towards. Um, towards drilling and, and think there's opportunities to continue to grow the resource. Uh, there's a red line that crosses this map that's uh, got the, the label section and that is a cross section of the, across the property, which is the next slide on, on slide 16. And really what we've done on 16 is we've brought all the kind of the key deposits onto, onto one section. Uh, Madsen itself sits on the right hand side. This is the focus of the uh, feasibility study. Um, you can see a depiction of the shaft going down through the deposit and, and the ramp there. Uh, deeper down, you see something called the eighth zone. That looks really interesting. I mean, I, I guess, is that in any of the numbers that you've declared so far? Yeah, the eighth zone forms part of the resource and will be part of the mine plan from, from the uh, feasibility study. What uh, What is interesting about it, in fact, what's interesting about this entire uh, depiction here is that, uh, you know, it's open. Uh, Madison's open to depths below the bottom of this page. The eighth zone is open both up and down plunge 
And, uh, and in fact, when you look at roughly south of the surface on the left side of this uh, map, one of our satellite zones, that really was discovered uh, initially by, by pointing the zone to surface, getting out on the ground, seeing some of the elements geologically that we wanted to see, and drilling, and now it's developed into a resource. There's a gap there of about one to one and a half kilometers that uh, is, uh, is poorly tested and, and remains a focus for us in terms of trying to generate additional resource. Okay. Uh, yeah. The zone is important because it is higher grade. When you look at the resource itself, overall, we talked about a nine gram per ton resource. Uh, the 8-zone um, in an indicated category pushes closer to 20 grams per ton. So you can see it's an important part of, a, you know, of the future of the, of the project moving forward. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, again, just on page 15, you talk about robust ge geological framework. I mean, is this data you've inherited or you've gathered or a bit of both? I mean, Yeah, so it's the data we, in we, we inherited and, and using that data and, and again, a, you know, a strong geoscience-focused approach to develop models that uh, not only explain what had been mined previously, but also identify opportunities for expansion. And one of the keys that come out of that, and I'll be able to show that in, in a slide that's coming here, one of the keys that uh, really came out of that is, is, is a, and this is a breakthrough that we had about two and a half years ago, is, is a model that really defines Madison as a structurally controlled deposit and allows us to trace those structures across stratigraphy into different areas. We've been testing that with drilling and uh, in particular fork and, and wedge to the uh, kind of the bottom half of this plan map on, on, on the previous slide really do, um, they're, they're the fruit of the, uh, of the model, so to speak. They're discoveries that are based on that model and, uh, and we think it'll continue to lead to additional discoveries. Interesting, okay. Who's, who's managing that charge? That'd be Phil. So it's Phil Smirchansky and his team. Great, okay. And then again, going through to Page seventeen again. You can touch upon the the growth and scalability component, which I think is you know, a very important part of your story. Yeah, yeah. So on this, this is a plan map again. We've zoomed in. Uh, red is a current resource, and uh, the orange area is a uh, is a an exploration target that currently has no resource, but uh, that will be incorporated into the upcoming resource. Uh, you know, and this really does does put that start to put that picture together. Uh, the feasibility study is focused on Madsen, which is the, the larger mass of, of red mineralized material in the uh, middle right uh, portion of this image. If we trace that towards the bottom of the image, we get into an area that's labeled fork. Uh, that's one of the satellite deposits, and that really is an extension of those same structures that control Madsen. You keep following that down to the bottom of the image into the orangier area there called wedge, and again, it's tracing those structures made, made a discovery at wedge. Uh, wedge has been uh, an area that we started drilling over a little over a year ago and have had great success defining it across a one kilometer strike length and down to a depth of 500 meters and we're really excited about the opportunity to continue to grow resource there. Uh, on the left side kind of standing alone is Russet South and, uh, and that's that up, kind of up plunge projection of the eighth zone of depth and the gap between the, uh, the main mass of Madison and Russet South is an area that we'll target for additional growth. So understanding what's controlling mineralization putting the model together, recognition that they're genetically and spatially linked has allowed us to properly target and increase our, increase our success rate on, on growing resource. Okay, and I, I guess, as you say, wedge, wedge and start, um, not currently included in the resource, but potential there is something right. that you're excited about, okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the next slide we're gonna look at is a 3D depiction of this image. And uh, imagine, if you will, you're standing on the north arrow there, and you're looking back towards Manson. And, uh, and this really puts that, uh, you know, that common mineral system into place. 
Um, you know, Madison's seen two and a half million ounces of production, and uh, we have a two million ounce effectively resource. So you're looking at four and a half million ounces in this window. And to get a clear picture, of the Madison Fork and Wedge are all related as part of the you know the same mineral system here. Eight zones at the depth, connecting you know connecting back potentially into the Fork and Russell South area. Uh, it's all open. There's a lot of white space on here, and you get a again you get a sense of that from some of the drill holes we've highlighted. Down at the bottom left there, AD 1101, 14.3 grams over two meters. It's uh, about 750 meters below any mining that's ever occurred at Madison, about 2.1 kilometers vertical. Uh, we drilled a hole a little over a year ago, 456, 34.6 grams or 4.3 meters. That sits 200 to 250 meters below any mining at Madison. And then again at Sterich, we've got 34 over 11. At Wedge, we've got uh, you know another strong result towards the bottom of Wedge. All of that just really paints the picture that not only are we continuing to make discovery by extending laterally near surface, but there's real strong depth potential here to, to continue to grow resources and, uh, and demonstrate the longevity of a potential mining scenario. Got it. So but you're, you're quite excited by this, this diagram, clearly. Oh, yeah. you're, you're seeing a lot of potential yeah. and you seem to be hitting, uh, hitting gold wherever you drill. Is that, is, that the, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, well, we're looking at, uh, you know, the things that, that really get me excited is this is a big mineral system. It's five kilometers across uh, in strike length here. Uh, you know, I talked about what's been mined, what's in current resource. It's a, uh, it's a large system. You know, it's, it's, it's been sparsely tested to date and, and a lot of room to grow. Uh, I'm excited about putting Madison back into production, generating cash flow, and then being able to demonstrate this expansion through additional exploration work and, and additional development. Well, I, well, I guess that's uh, that's the point. Everyone kind of wants to get to. They want to understand, you know, the drivers for the business. Getting to cash flow is always important. Getting well, you know, getting to production clearly to to do that. Um, so, I mean, tell tell us about page nineteen. Yeah. So this really just demonstrates the the low capital nature of the project. Uh, you know, as we talked about, because of the infrastructure that's in place. Uh, you know. 51 million in the PEA to, to build a you know a new mine at Madison and generates 47% on a uh, um, after-tax IRR basis. Uh, it it really stands alone with respect to capital and return on on investment. Uh, obviously, this is about to be overridden by the feasibility study, but uh, but it, it, it paints a nice picture here with respect to our peers. And uh, and so it really does you know highlight the uniqueness of the project, high grade. Strong returns and, and low capital with a, a short time frame to move back into production, and then beyond that, as we've discussed uh, through the presentation, uh, the ability to demonstrate growth through exploration, uh, which we've, we've already started to demonstrate with the satellite discoveries that we've made. Right. So, what have you got to try and achieve in 2019 to be able to deliver success for investors? Yeah. So, I think right now the the, the key thing that everyone's looking towards is the uh, release of the feasibility study. That will be the you know the last step in de-risking a, uh, a production uh, formats and and uh, and ultimately that will be a driver for the year project finance construction and looking to put ourselves in a position where we are generating cash flow in in 2020. Beyond that, we do not intend to stop exploration. Uh, we'll continue to show growth in, in resource ultimately to layer on and and achieve our goal, which is demonstrating to the market the potential to produce 100 to 150,000 ounces over a 10 year plus mine period. And I think that ultimately is going, it's going to drive real value for pure gold shareholders moving forward. The, uh, the potential for good economics, uh, a cash flow generator, and longevity with growth, uh, all, of, all of which together will, will really enable us to realize
realized value, which we, we think we should be showing today. Yeah, there's been great messages to deliver uh, this year for sure. Okay, Darren, thank you very much for running through that. Um, there's some very, very strong and confident messages coming through there. I guess we all wait to see what the DFS uh, delivers uh, and what your decisions are off the back of that. Um, it would be great to kind of stay in touch and obviously see if you know some of these things which you're hoping to deliver get delivered and um, keep our investor base up to date with what's going on. Fantastic, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity and look forward to, uh, to giving an update once we get some of these messages out. Fantastic, Darren. Um, thank you again for your time and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers. Take care. Thank you. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.